Although population level differences between estimated glomerular filtration rate, or EGFR for short, and measured glomerular filtration rate are well known, the individual level differences are not. So what clinical implication can this have for our patients? Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Javed Butler, and here today to discuss a recent study from the Annals of Internal Medicine that explored this exact topic is Dr. Tariq Shafi, who is the John D. Bauer Director of the Division of Nephrology and Professor of Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Shafi, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dr. Butler, and it's a pleasure to be here. Great. So we are all really excited about your study, but before we get into the specifics of the study, just to start us off, can you tell us how renal function is currently uh, measured and assessed in the clinical practice? So as you know, most of the times when there is a chemistry panel, renal function panel, or basic metabolic panel done anywhere in the clinic or in the inpatient setting, there is an eGFR or estimated GFR that is reported alongside a serum creatinine value. So this estimated GFR is one way of how the renal function is assessed these days. There are other methods such as uh, measuring a cystatin C level and calculating an estimated GFR from that. And some of the guidelines actually recommend cystatin C as a confirmatory test for GFR. And then, of course, the other method for measuring GFR is a 24-hour urine collection. Now, if any time we've ordered a urine collection for 24-hour urine creatinine clearance, it is to really measure GFR. In some specialized centers, direct radioisotopic GFR is also uh, measured. It can be quite cumbersome, but there are some specialized uses for it, such as if you want to know what the split kidney function is. And in a handful of specialized centers, now, the, these modern methods of direct GFR measurements are also being used. So can, can you tell us a little bit about the strengths and weaknesses of these current methods? And along with that, also, if you can opine a little bit about this cystatin uh, issue and, and how commonly cystatin C is being measured in the clinical setting as well? So I think the biggest advantage of estimated GFR is if you remember the time before estimated GFR, there was a serum creatinine that was reported and people would sort of try to basically guesstimate what somebody's kidney function was and, you know, that could be subjective. So the estimated GFR gives a more sort of scientifically uh, valid uh, way of assessing how the creatinine level relates to somebody's GFR. But this is still a ballpark estimate of what the GFR is. So its advantage is that it only requires serum creatinine that has been measured, age, sex at this point. So really any lab that has collected these demographic data can actually report it. The disadvantage that unfortunately people have overlooked is that the estimated GFR is really the population average GFR of people that were in the equation cohorts, and CKDIP is the most commonly used equation in the United States and worldwide. The other disadvantage has been that in the sort of zeal to sort of make estimated GFR widely available, we have started reporting this number even for patients where it may not be valid. So as you know, the results of any study are generalizable to the patients that were actually included in these cohorts. So uh, these cohorts did not include people that were hospitalized, acutely ill, 
for example, people with decompensated heart failure, cirrhosis, sickle cell. For us, kidney transplant is a big group as well. So statin C is another filtration marker. It is produced by all nucleated cells in the body. It's also freely filtered, not reabsorbed, not secreted. So we can use its level to give us uh, an uh, approximation of what the kidney function may be. And just like with creatinine, the way we have estimating equations that calculate an estimated GFR, we have estimated equations for cystatin C as well. It is not widely available. The majority of the health centers in the United States, it's a send out test, so the results are not uh, available right away. Great. So with that in mind, what were the exact questions that you were trying to address in your study? Can you tell us a little bit about the backbone of your study? So we started off a simple question, and the question was that what is the range of directly measured gold standard GFR in my patient who has a given or a calculated eGFR result? And the reason this was important is that when we looked at a lab report with a serum creatinine value of, let's say, 1.5, if uh, the test is repeated 100 times, the range will be between 1.4 to 1.6. Right next to it is the eGFR number that is reported. Let's just say, take an example of 60. So uh, most of the times when people are looking at these numbers, the implication is that, well, this is the gold standard uh, highly accurate number of 59 to 60 with a range of 59 to 61. So we wanted to understand this a little bit better and see whether that's really the true range or it's wider. We also wanted to know how likely are large errors in studies and how are people classified as CKD versus not CKD using measured versus estimated GFR. So to answer these questions, we collated data from four cohorts where GFR was measured as part of a research protocol using highly standardized methods in about 3,000 participants. And these participants also had serum creatinine and cystatin C values at the same time. And then we related these measured GFR values with the calculated estimated GFR from creatinine and cystatin C. That's great that you had the opportunity and the data to look into that. Not easy things to do. So what did you find? So, so we found that the, the eGFR calculation was actually substantially inaccurate, so much so that we felt that it's actually inaccurate to report it as a single number. So just to give you an example, if we take 100 patients with an eGFR of 60, uh, remember that's the number where we were wondering that is the range of measured GFR 59 to 61. What we found was that half of the people with an estimated GFR of 60 would have a directly measured GFR in the range of 50 to 70. And 95 of the people would have a directly measured GFR in the range of 36 to 87. Now, this is substantially wide range where 36 is really a very advanced kidney failure and 87 is really normal kidney function. So no CKD to severe CKD. We also found that substantial errors where people's measured GFR was outside of 15% range was high at about 50%. And only half the people that were classified as CKD by the estimated GFR were classified by measured GFR. And in particular, this is really important for the people with what we call the CKD stage 3A, which is people with an estimated 
GFR of uh, 45 to 59 and no protein in the urine. And in this group, we found that two out of five or 40% of the uh, patients actually had a directly measured uh, GFR greater than 60, which really classifies them as CKD-free. And to put it in context, we're really talking about seven and a half million people in the United States that are classified as CKD based on this estimation. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Clinicians Roundtable on ReachMD. I am Dr. Javed Butler, and I'm speaking with Dr. Tariq Shafi about a recent study that focused on quantifying individual level inaccuracies in glomerular filtration rate estimations. And obviously, CKD stages are important not only for sort of the generic prognostic purposes, but also some of our therapies are targeted towards that. So I want to hear your perspective about the clinical implications of your results. I think in terms of clinical implications, that's from the patient care perspective, for a long time, we've actually started to tell people that their kidney function number is this. And the number that we are reporting is not really highly precise and accurate. So, so we really should actually tell them what the range of kidney function may be. So that's one aspect of things. And then I think we need to sort of modify the way the labs report these tests and perhaps not report them for people where they're not valid and when it's reported, report the uncertainty as well. I think in terms of uh, the CKD classification system, it is uh, okay if we actually use estimated GFR to classify groups of people for population health studies, uh, population health intervention, and for disease epidemiology. But I think it's really problematic that at an individual patient level, we classify them as having a disease versus no disease based on a single uh, estimated uh, GFR number. Uh, you know, and this is something similar to what we've done with hemoglobin A1C, except that A1C is measured. Um, so it's actually a measured uh, test, whereas estimated GFR is not a measured test. So while there seems to be a lot of clinical implications of your research findings, is it clinically feasible? And what, in your opinion, are the next steps for your line of research? Yes, so I think the new methods for measured GFR are highly clinically feasible. The modern methods of uh, GFR measurements are actually quite simple. So really, if you can actually give a dose of a drug IV that's non-radioactive or give a sub-Q injection and you can draw blood and do bladder scans, you can measure GFR. And you can do that in a period of about two hours to four hours. Obviously, this is not a, a, a simple procedure everybody would be getting, but it is not highly complicated procedure that it should not be available to our patients. So how do we actually make it available? So I think education and awareness of both directly measured GFR and the limitations of estimated GFR is extremely important. And finally, I think one of the biggest barriers, unfortunately, in the U.S. healthcare system is that we do not have a CPT code for a non-nuclear GFR. One exists for nuclear GFR, but not for non-nuclear GFR. So we need to do work to make directly measured GFR a billable procedure. Well, I really very much appreciate your insights. These were certainly some very important findings when it comes to measuring a patient's renal function. Tarek, thank you so much for walking us through your study and spending some time with us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Yes, and thank you for this very interesting discussion. I am Dr. Javed Butler. To access this and other episodes in our series, visit reachmd.com slash clinicians roundtable, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.